So our next three services, today, Good Friday, and Easter, we're going to cover a service, um, we'll cover a sermon series called, This is the Gospel. Now that word gospel is scary, right? Like what the heck does that mean? The gospel. The gospel means simply, let's speak in everyday language, good news. It's God communicating to us through his son Jesus that he loves us. It's God communicating that he is real. It's God communicating that he exists. And where we see that greatest communication is through the sending of his son Jesus, born of a virgin, lived a sinless life, died an atoning death, was buried in the ground three days, and rose again so that all who believe in him could have eternal life and forgiveness of sins. That's the good news. So you get bad news every day. Can I get an amen? Life is full of a lot of bad news, man. Every day you wake up, except, uh, expect to hear some bad news. But what happens is, this good news, our lives, even though when our lives are broken, they can seem long and they can seem hard. There's really a lot of suffering in this world. But the good news that we practice daily when we remember that this life is not all there is. But there actually is a God that is for us and sent his son Jesus to do what we couldn't do, to live a perfect life. And that's what we're going to focus on today. I want you to think about and consider and believe that Jesus was absolutely sinless throughout his whole life. Because many times, us not believing that our sins are forgiven by God through Jesus Christ, it creates a personality in us that hurts us. Because we're all sinners and we're all fallen short of the glory of God. And sin begins to shape our personality when we don't realize we're forgiven by it. Let me give you an example. If you don't realize that Jesus has forgiven your sins and you don't believe that, you will spend your whole life trying to atone for your own sins. Trying to make up for your sins. Trying to undo the sins that you've done to others and it will leave you in anxiety, it will leave you in fear, it will leave you in I can't rest, it will leave you in I can't stand still, it will leave you with no peace because you will try to atone for your own sins even subconsciously not knowing that. But what my hope is today is that we truly believe together as a congregation today, wherever you are in your journey of faith, that you take a step closer to believing that your sins are really forgiven. Not only forgiven, but forgotten, that you have a perfectly clean resume if you only believe in the work of Jesus Christ and that you are loved by God and that this is the amazing thing of the good news. That when we put our faith in Jesus, it says that God isn't even capable as a perfect father with no darkness in him at all, that he's not even capable of having anything but loving and good thoughts towards us. Do you feel like God always has good thoughts towards you? Or do you feel like you're always an object of his wrath? Because if you feel like God's always mad at you, it might be because you don't realize the power of the gospel, the power of the good news, that you are forgiven of your sins. Because that will wage war within you if you don't realize that God has atoned for our sins. Amen? I want to ask you this question. When is the first time that you realized you sinned? And let me give you what sin is. You did something wrong, and it was wrong, and you felt guilty and ashamed about it. Do you remember the first time 
you ever realized, I did something wrong. And you felt the weight that your perfect moral record was broken. No longer a perfect resume. I've done something wrong. And the Bible would call that you realize you're a sinner. Like I chose to do something wrong. Let me tell you when I realized it. Five years old. I love Sesame Street. You understand me? Sin to Sesame Street. That's how we do it around here. I love Sesame Street. And my friend who was five years old said, I got the full Sesame Street kit with all the characters. I'm talking about Oscar the Grouch, Elmo, Ernie, and Bert, Big Bird. In the whole place they met, it was like a city. He said, come over, I'll show you. I said, I'll be there. Five years old. I only knew I was five because on Sesame Street, they put like the number in your chest and you sing it. So I, I thought there was a number that lived in my chest. That's a side note. So I walked over and I saw this Sesame Street full toy set. And let me tell you what I wasn't. I wasn't happy for my friend who was five. I said, how come he gets to have a Sesame Street toy set? I said, I can't afford that. And so inside, I devised a plan to steal Oscar the Grouch. <laughs> so I was like, this is great, man. This is awesome. He's like, yeah, my parents got it for me. And I pocketed Oscar. Five years old, what a sinner I am. And I remember feeling the guilt and the fear, like I got Oscar the Grouch in my pocket. He knows. He knows when I'm going to steal it. And I walked over to my house and I took Oscar out and I realized for the first time I was a sinner and my moral record was broken. I had stolen something from someone else. Now that's a light story. You may have your own story, but what happens through life is those sins get heavier and heavier and heavier and we choose to sin and we choose the wrong thing and we choose ourselves to the hurt of others and as image bearer of God, we start realizing we're stained. This is real here and you know your soul feels it. You start to feel stained and you start being shaped by your personality to try to make up for that sin. Or maybe others have sinned against you and you realize their moral record was blemished. And the people I trusted the most are the ones that hurt me the most. And you start to realize that you're in a world full of sin and you are a sinner. That feeling of being stained is what Jesus wants to take away from you today. That feeling of being unclean is what Jesus wants to take away from you today. That belief that you are unlovable is what Jesus wants to take away from you today. And that's what he did take away through his sinless life and the cross. Amen. A soul heals when it realizes it's clean because of God's love. And that's the gospel. That's the good news I want you to hear today. So there's three things we're going to focus on. 
Jesus was sinless through the greatest temptations of his life. We're going to talk about why it was so important for Jesus to remain sinless and what that means for our salvation and our forgiveness. And thirdly, let's talk about how we can apply the teaching of Jesus' sinlessness to our own lives. Would you turn with me? Actually, you don't have to turn. It's a technological age. You can look on the screen. Matthew chapter 4, verses 1 through 11. If you have your Bibles, if you could turn there. Matthew 4, 1 through 11. It says, then Jesus was led up by the spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. And the tempter came and said to him, if you are the son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. But he answered, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, if you are the son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, he will command his angels concerning you. And on their hands, they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against the stone. Jesus said to him again, it is written, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory, kingdoms of the world and their glory, and said to him, all these I will give you, if you will fall down and worship me. Then Jesus said to him, Be gone, Satan, for it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. Then the devil left him, and behold, the angels came and were ministering to him. This is an absolute showdown here between the Son of God, who is absolute love, and Satan, which means the adversary, who is absolute evil. What is at stake here is the sinlessness of Jesus Christ. So what we must understand about Jesus, what the Bible teaches about Jesus, is that he is fully God and that he is fully man. I'll give you the big theological word for it, but you'll probably just throw it out as something you don't understand. It's the hypostatic union, they call it. That's the big word. So many of you maybe have heard about the Trinity, right? That's common. Even if you don't believe, you've heard about the Trinity. And the doctrine of the Trinity is this, that God is one in essence, he's one God, but he exists in three persons, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. What happened when Jesus came to earth and was born of the Virgin Mary was that the second person of the Trinity, the Word of God, took on flesh, but he did not abandon his divinity, meaning the Word became flesh. He who the whole world was made through, he who is the author of love, he who is the Son of God, took on flesh and became fully man, but never abandoned being fully God. Does that make sense, guys? And so what happens is Jesus and his humanity is being tempted to sin. And when Satan confronts him here, he, ha he, has a, he is at his lowest emotional and physical point. So he's fasting 40 days. Some of you... You might fast lunch and want to kill your husband, right? You miss the Snickers bar for a snack and you're ready to throw people out of the window. Jesus fasted for 40 days. That is the limit that a person can fast without doing permanent damage to their system. He's at the brink. He's at the brink emotionally too. 
at the absolute brink emotionally. And the devil, Satan, comes to tempt him to try to get him with, get him to sin because he wants to thwart the plan of God. And he always challenges identity. When you attempted to sin, you will always be challenged with your identity. The enemy will always tell you you're something other than what God tells you. So just quick example, so we dive in it. He'll tell you you're not loved. He'll tell you you're dirty. He'll tell you you're this. He'll tell you that. And he'll make you believe that that's your identity. But what does the gospel say? It says you're loved by God. You're a child of God. Jesus is for you. God is for you who can be against you. And then you start feeling your identity. That's just a side note. But he challenges the identity of Jesus. He says, if you are the son of God, turn these rocks into bread. You're starving, Jesus. You're tired. You have the power, right? Turn these rocks into bread. And what are you going to understand? I'm going to do this real quick because I don't want to make this too big for those who are just hearing about Bible things for the first time. Jesus is marrying what went on with Moses when the people were delivered out of Egypt. Meaning the people went for 40 days into the wilderness. They feel the temptation. I mean, right out the gate, they were complaining. They were saying, bring us back. It was better there. God delivered them from slavery with mighty signs and wonders, and they wanted to go back. And they act, actually, because of their sin, they weren't allowed into the promised land. They failed the test. And what Jesus is doing, he's going for 40 days, and he's facing the devil, and he's passing the test. Because you'll see the second thing, he brings them up to the pinnacle of the temple, which is about 300 feet high. He said, if you're the son of God, right, you can jump off this and angels will catch you because you're that powerful. How does he answer him? He said, it is written, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. Because that's what the people did when they were delivered from Egypt. See, what Jesus was doing was he was delivering us really from the slavery of sin really delivering us and making us free. And he, through the gospel and through the good news, was bringing us in the promised land where we could rest in him. That was what was at stake there. And then the most insulting temptation happens. So we have identity first with the temptation. And the next identity, the, the next temptation is this. I got a shortcut. A shortcut that involves sin. Jesus, you want to be king? You don't have to go through the cross. You don't have to suffer. You've got a whole, you've got three years and then you're going to be pinned to a tree and your, your creation and your children and your people, they're going to reject and murder you. i got an easier path for you. If you just bow down and worship me right now, I will give you all the kingdoms of the world. That's what sin promises, right? You don't have to go the hard road because there's suffering along that road. I got an easy road where you can get what you want right now. And what was at stake there? If Jesus sinned and bowed his knee and worshiped Satan, all was lost. Because we would not have a genuine and adequate Savior. Because we needed a sinless Savior. Then Jesus in might, he says, devil be gone. What does he say? It is written. You shall worship the Lord your God and worship him alone. The devil is trying to tempt him with the greatest sin and the number one sin of all. What's the first for some of you who watched Charlton Heston in that movie you've been watching for about 50 years? What was the first commandment? You shall have no other gods before me. I'm a jealous God. 
he would have broke the first commandment, but Jesus says, I'll have none of that. Be gone, Satan. And the angels come to minister to him. And he remains sinless in the greatest temptations. And that continues on for the next few years. Could you imagine being sinless for a day? Which of you have been sinless for a day? If you think so, we might have to redefine what sin is around here. Who can make a claim to being innocent and sinless? None of us, right? That's why Jesus says, blessed are the poor in spirit because they see their need for me. They see their need. Jesus loves, God loves to see people that realize that they have nothing in the tank and they can't do it on their own and that they're sinners. You know the great parable he tells of the tax collector and the sinner, right? He tells, how do we pray? It's two guys praying and one prays, he just is before God and he becomes undone. He said, Father, I'm a great sinner. I'm not worthy of your love. My sins are great, but I trust your mercy, right? I'm a great sinner. He identifies himself. What does the tax collector pray? Thank God I'm not like him. You see the heart that Jesus is looking for? He's not looking for delusional people. He's looking for people who have really given a sober evaluation and saying, I've fallen short of the glory of God and there's no way ever I could atone for myself. I need Jesus. And this brings us to why it's so important that Jesus remained sinless. You know, I was talking with someone a few years back and it was at a time when the History Channel had that show on where they were um, pushing a false narrative where Jesus was sinfully with Mary Magdalene. And he was saying to me, you don't understand, I just feel it in my gut that he was with Mary Magdalene. Imagine that, putting your whole life on feeling in your gut after watching a history show. I'm telling you, I just feel it right here. I'm like, do you understand what's at stake? I got real serious. We were in a garage. <laughs> I said, do you understand what you're saying here? If Jesus was with Mary Magdalene sinfully, then Jesus was not God. If he sinned, there is no Savior. So make sure if you're going to believe that, you know what follows that belief. You're claiming that Jesus is not the Son of God. There's no salvation on him. He's not the second person of the Trinity. And of course he didn't rise from the dead. Because only this sinless overcome the grave. And there was only one. See, what he did is he went with a gut feeling, which I wouldn't encourage you to live your life by gut feelings. Live your life according to what is written. It is written that Jesus was sinless. The Holy Spirit wrote the Bible and it says, it is written that he is sinless. It is written. And when you believe that, everything that comes with that is the absolute forgiveness of sins. If Satan got Jesus to sin, there's no hope. Everyone heard the story of Adam and Eve? If not, here we go. Adam and Eve, first image bearers of God, made his image to be in perfect relationship with them, with God, with each other, with themselves, and with their environment, right? That's the theological, that's the, um, when it comes to sociological, that's the psychological, and that's the environmental. Perfect design to be perfect relationship with all those things. Satan comes into the picture. They have one thing 
that they're told to stay away from. If you live long enough, what happens when tell you, someone tells you not to do one thing? You're like, where's it at? Where is it? I want to do it. Right? But what does he tempt them with? He says, listen, God's not being honest with you. He's trying to keep something from you. He's telling you not to do that because he's trying to keep joy and happiness and knowledge from you. And what Adam and Eve do is they ultimately they fail. They don't want to be worshipers of God. They don't want to be children of God. They want to be God himself. They're not content. They want the knowledge where they declare what's good and evil. And they fall and sin enters the world and brokenness and death and family separate and people die and, and brothers kill brother. And you just see the devastation go. That's all sin. What Jesus does is he's called the second Adam in the Bible where he has a showdown with um, Satan and he says, be gone. You will not tempt me with those things that my loving father has told me never to indulge in. And he walks in perfectly and he achieves the victory for us. There's only one who can walk sinless, and that's Jesus, the perfect second Adam. When you think of all the influential leaders in history, think of all the influential leaders in history. None of them were sinless, and none claimed to be sinless, and none claimed to be God, the Son of God. Jesus was actually crucified, and we'll tackle this on Good Friday more. He was crucified because he claimed to be divine, the son of God, and they said that's blasphemous. He wasn't crucified because he was caring for the poor. He was crucified because he claimed sinlessness and divinity. There is no one in the history of the world has been sinless. No leaders of any faith that claimed divinity or sinlessness that were influential. Only Jesus, that's a title that is just for him alone. Because he is the word become flesh. He is the son of God. Amen. Now, how do we apply this to our life? Jesus is sinless. He overcame the temptation. He did what Moses and the people couldn't do. He did what Adam couldn't do. He does what we couldn't do. I want to share a story with you that a pastor once told me. He was on the boat with his family. I'd say about a 25-foot boat. I could be wrong. Don't check the details. But there was like a, a captain on this little boat, and I think there was like 25 or so people on there. And they were having trouble with the engine. So the boat started drifting out. Everyone started to panic. Just going out to the ocean, like, what's going on here? Everyone's panicking on the boat. They're not attached to the dock anymore. And the engine's not working. Fun, fun, fun. The captain, the good-hearted captain, starts to panic and decides to do a swan dive off the boat. Swims for the rope, grabs the rope, and tries to doggy paddle into the dock. What a good guy. What a futile effort. Such a good heart, delusional quest. The people in the boat are like, this guy's a good guy, but we're going further out into the ocean. But he swam away, man. He was like, that's all I can do. The reason I tell you that story, that's how we are when we try to atone for our own sin. It's a delusional quest. How many good deeds could we do to make up for the bad deeds we've done? It doesn't work like that in God's economy. We can't. 
We can't drag a 30-foot boat with 30 people on it back to a dock with a doggy paddle. We will waste our lives. And people will say, oh, they have such a good heart. But you'll never live with the peace that the gospel brings, the good news brings. Because we can't atone for our own sins no matter what we do. I want to share the scripture with you, that it is written scripture, so you can see that what I'm preaching is from the Bible and the word of truth. 2 Corinthians 5.21, it says, For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that we might become the righteousness of God. He made him who knew no sin to become sin so we could be the righteousness of God. Now, how does that work? Theologians would call this the great exchange. Do you know what happened to Jesus on the cross? And we'll talk about this more on Friday night, but I'll just give you quick because it's important. He took all the sins that you and me have committed, all the wrongdoings from the first time we committed sins, and he took them on himself and became sin and took those sins to the grave and buried them. And you know what happened to that perfect life where Jesus never sinned? That would exchange to us so we're acquitted for eternity from every transgression we have committed. So when God looks at us, he sees a clean, innocent child of his. And only in that can you walk in purity of personality, in purity of conscience, in purity of love, and understand the love of God. Amen? That's the only way, because that's your identity. That's your identity. The days of atoning for your own sin are over and delusional. And the days of believing are here. What does Jesus say? If you read the whole Bible, and we talk about this all the time, those people weren't heroes. They were messed up individuals. They were so messed up. Moses and David, murderers. Abraham, you read long enough about him, I'm telling you, you won't be cheering for him. You'd be like, wow, God shows grace. But what does it say about each one of those people? They believed. They believed they were great sinners, but they believed that God was a great Savior. And that's what I need you to hear today. Because Jesus was sinless, we get that sinlessness if we only believe. Now, it's tough to believe, isn't it? It's tough to believe that God loves you because we know our track record. It's a mess. And some people don't even know about it, the sins you've committed. That's when you and God, and you know how messy it is. It's hard to believe that a God could be that loving to wipe that slate clean. But I'm here to tell you today, because of the gospel of Jesus Christ, it is true. It is written. We are the children of God to all believe. We are loved by God, and we are declared innocent, loved, and forgiven. Amen? So I need you to first, to apply that to your life by believing it. By believing it. Just believe. What did Jesus say? Do not be afraid. Just believe. Secondly, I want you to ask yourself what sins you're holding on to and making yourself pay for that you need to accept the forgiveness that God is offering through Jesus. What sins are you holding on to 
that you need to accept the forgiveness that is found in Christ, that you need to let go, and God wants you to let go today so that you can be free. Are you someone who betrayed those who are closest to you? There's forgiveness in Jesus. You are loved. Your sins are paid for. Jesus was perfect. Therefore, you are a loved child of God. His blood means you're forgiven. Are you someone that committed violence towards others and you think you can't be forgiven? You are forgiven because of the blood of Christ, because of the work of Jesus. Accept that forgiveness today. Be free in the gospel. Are you someone who stole from others? You've been a thief. You stole from people who trusted you. And you're holding on to those chains and you won't accept the forgiveness of God. I pray that today you accept the forgiveness of God. And whatever it is, whatever it is that is haunting you, God doesn't want it to haunt you anymore. He wants you to be free from those chains of making yourself pay for your own sins because Christ paid for them. And what I want to ask you here is this. We have our own chains that we need to let the forgiveness of Christ just wash us clean of our break. How about the sins of others towards us? When we don't forgive others for the great hurt towards us, we bind ourselves in our own chains again. Some of you have been through horrible things. Horrible things. And I understand how hard it is to forgive others who have sinned against you. I pray today that you forgive them. And the why behind it is because Christ has forgiven us of so much. And in closing, Jesus' life was perfection. He knows our frailty. He knows our weaknesses. He knows our sins. And that's why he came to do what we could never do, live a perfect life so that we could spend eternity with him. If you have never believed that, the Bible says this. If you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, Romans 10, 9, that you will be saved. It's an act of faith. I want to call you just between you and God in this moment for those who have been struggling with faith to believe in Jesus, to accept his forgiveness, to follow him and have joy today. That prayer can go something like this. Jesus, I'm a great sinner. Forgive me of my sins. I believe that you died and rose again, and I know you're a great Savior, and I want to follow you for the rest of my life. It's as simple as that, because God hears the heart. Let's continue to believe in a sinless Savior. Let's pray.